Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Well, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad you're tuning in with us on this episode. And today I have, uh, I think one of, one of my favorite pastors on the planet. <laughs> That's a big statement. I have several. Yeah, I have several, but I just, I, the thing I love about Hans Brewer is that he, I would say he pastors outside the church box. Would you, would you, is that a compliment to you, Hans? Yes, it is. And I always have. Yeah. Yeah. He pastors outside. People in the church box mad. I tend to make them mad. (laughs) Yeah. So if you want a pastor who makes church folks mad, but loves hanging out with and pastoring the people outside the church box. This is the guy. And uh, I love that about Hans. So, and I met Hans back in 19 in the nineties at Steve Shogren's church. So I've, I've interviewed Steve. Some of my listeners uh, will have heard an interview that I did with Steve Shogren. And I had actually, uh, I actually flew to Cincinnati in the nineties to learn from Steve. I was, my church was in a meeting in a middle school and we had a couple hundred people maybe. And, you know, the Cincinnati vineyard was exploding and I'd heard, you know, I'd heard about Steve. And so I literally flew out there. He, he invited me to stay at his house. And when I got there, he wasn't even in town. He was in another country. He was like in Europe. And he had somebody pick me up, drop me off at his house. And uh, Janie was at the house. I had a friend with me and Janie gives us a quick tour of the house and then she had to leave. And so she takes us down to this little, little theater room. And um, like she, she tries to show me how to work the laser disc theater thing. And she says, Oh, have you seen this movie? It was Austin powers. And she flipped it to the Austin Powers scene where they're in the toilet. And, uh, and she showed me, I call it the turd scene from Austin powers. And I, and I thought, I like this lady already. Like this is, this is my kind of senior pastor wife, you know? So then she took off and then, you know, I was just hanging out in Steve's house. So, and then I was at church and, uh, Steve was like, you got to meet Hans Brewer and he's heads up our small groups and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm guessing you don't even remember, but that's when I first met you, Hans, when, I do when you guys were actually. doing seven services on the weekend, it was insane, going crazy and Fred props in and, uh, and I'm, I'm picking Hans's brain about how they do small groups at Cincinnati. <laughs> so yep. That's Hans Brewer. Now we've, we've stayed connected all these years. We'll unpack some of that later, but thanks Hans. That was a long introduction, but thanks for connecting with us and being on here. 
So let's, let's dive into your story a little bit. Where'd you grow up? Um, how did, how did, how in the world did you end up into the church world from growing up in your growing up years? And, uh, that's, that's a great question. I still don't know, but, um, so I don't have a great answer for that. I kind of fell into it. Um, I grew up in Cincinnati, uh, and I grew up Lutheran, but I went to a Catholic school. So, um, uh, my parents were both very German. They had very thick German accents. And uh, I didn't know till I was 30, I found out that uh, I always wondered if they were connected to the SS or the Nazis <laughs> because they would never talk about anything from when they were growing up. It was all very secretive. And I always knew there was a secret, but I found out when I was 30 that they were actually Jewish and they were running from they're they were running from the people in their country so um how i became a pastor that's a whole and nother... I, by the way let's put that one on hold because i really want to okay. dig into that one a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> i am um, yeah that's that's part of it um i grew up in the drug subculture so uh you know in the 70s yeah so i was part of that that other group you know right and I, like when, how, how old were you the first time you smoked weed? Probably 14. I was 14. Yeah. 14. To, I mean, it was everybody I knew was smoking pot back then. So yeah, me too. Um, and then it was through high school and then through in the Navy. So you went in high I school, could, right into the Navy. I did. Okay. I needed to get out of my house because my parents were driving me crazy. <laughs> so that was my, when I was 17, they had to sign a uh, permission slip for me to go in because I was too young. Wow. So where did yeah, you, I do went boot in camp? And, you, where'd you do boot camp? Uh, Great Lakes. Oh, up in uh, Illinois. Yeah. Huh. So okay. then I went to uh, Memphis, Tennessee, learned how to be a jet engine mechanic. And then I got, the stationed in, yep, got stationed in Norfolk mm. and I was trying not to smoke pot, but everybody I knew was, and it's like, I was totally immersed in that culture. Yeah. And it was driving me crazy because I knew there was more to life than being stoned all the time. <laughs> so, so I finally, hey, Norfolk, um, but, before I, when I graduated from seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, I went on staff at a church in Hampton, Virginia. Yep. And I lived in Hampton for three years, which, you know, we had, our church was full of military people, right? Because we were, oh, yeah. you know, we're Norfolk people. If you, if the James River dumps into the Jess, Chesapeake to the north of the right. James river is Hampton and Newport news to the south is Norfolk and Virginia beach. So and we had Navy. Navy. Yeah. We had Navy guys from Norfolk. We had air force guys from Langley air force base. Tech headquarters was at Langley air force base. And so we, we just had a church full of, you know, full of military people. It was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's known as the armpit of the <laughs> United States. <so. laughs> Yeah, but I learned to surf down down in Virginia Beach, and then we'd go down to Hatteras and surf down there. And 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not great waves on the East coast, but at nope. least I, at least I learned, you know, yeah. you wait for a storm to come in. Then you that's, can that's when we did, man. It's like it, a nor'easter comes in and you're out there, there with you your go. surfboard, you know, <laughs> cool. So where'd you go from Norfolk? Um, I was stationed there when I finally just, I had an encounter with Christ. Um, I had a really bad, I was on a really bad acid trip one night uh, and I saw some things that just, I couldn't grasp. So I knew I needed to do something. So I turned myself into my uh, superiors in the Navy and said, Hey, I need help. I can't stop this. And I ended up in a outpatient kind of treatment uh, in Norfolk and there was this guy in there who was uh, just, he was crying all the time. He was in, in treatment with me. He was just constantly crying and talking about God and talking about Jesus. I called him a Jesus freak, but um, he was, he was a piece of work. I went to his baptism actually on Chesapeake Bay and uh, we, we smoked pot out there and had a great time at his baptism. So <laughs> It was bizarre. <laughs> and I ended up out in San Diego at the Naval Drug Rehabilitation Center eventually. Wow. And spent three months out there and then came back to Norfolk. And when I came back, that guy was knocking on doors with the biggest smile on his face, mm. just doing evangelism. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, he was connected to the navigators. Okay. And he just befriended me and we just started hanging out and eventually I wanted what he had. Mm. And that's how I came into relationship with Jesus and how I stopped smoking pot and all the other stuff yeah. that goes along with that. So, yeah. Mm. How old were you when, when that happened? I was 20. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I only did the, the recreational drug thing from like 14 to, late six, you know, about two and a half years, I was 16. And then I, uh, then yeah, I, I came to Christ. Probably, I probably did it for seven years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Six or seven. Yeah. And, um, so did you get discipled by navigators? I did. And so uh, I like went I, through I, the I was, uh, TMS topical memory system. Me uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Dawson Trotman. Uh, oh yeah. I, I read all of his stuff. Leroy Imes. Yeah. Leadership. They have stuff. their own boot camp, don't they? They the do. Navigators. They do. Yeah. It was like going through boot camp again, but man, I tackled yeah. that memory verse stuff. Like I memorized thousands of verses with their, yeah. their system. It comes know. in handy as you get older, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know, my new, my newest verse that I've memorized, like I've only memorized one verse in the last four years intentionally yeah. Yeah. that's first john four sixteen. god is love god is love those who live in love live in god and god lives in them well there's a way to live right there boom period that says it all bang <laughs> that says it all <laughs> i like that uh, that's i'm ending i'm ending this new my service every sunday now with that verse i need to do that's that. like our benediction like, That's you awesome. know, yeah. Anyway, 
Cool. All right. So navigator dude. Yeah. Gosh, I knew, I knew a lot of navigators out there when I was in, on the East coast there with that, that Navy air force crowd. Yeah. yeah they're, they're a good bunch of guys. Yeah. Good dudes. Yep. So what, what happened after that? navigate like Norfolk. Where'd you go from there? Did you meet your wife in around this time or was that later? No, I, I actually got out of the Navy, went back to Cincinnati and uh, was in my first year of college in German class. Cause I wanted to learn German. And uh, my wife was in her junior year of college and she was taking German and uh, she kind of went after me, I guess is a good way to say it. She would say that. So, I mean, she would dress up really nice and I, I'm so oblivious to what's going on around me. I'd walk up to her and say, man, you look hot. Who you dre- who you dressing up for? I had no idea it was me. Oh, wow. <laughs> what remind uh, me of your wife's name? I'm Peggy. Peggy. Okay. Yeah. Peggy. All right. And her mom's German as oh. well. So that's why she wanted to study German. Okay. So that's so where that was at. at the university of Cincinnati. Yes. And, and then I class. went on, I got my degree in psychology, then went on to get my master's in counseling at Xavier University. And then I was working as a therapist when we started going to the vineyard in Cincinnati with Steve Shogren. Mm-hmm. And uh, he found out I was a therapist and he asked me if I'd be interested in leading a recovery group. So back then the hot thing was codependency. Right. So I told him, yeah, I'll lead a group for you. I thought it'd be a great way to serve. So we promoted it and I came to the first night of group. 85 people showed up. Wow. For the group. Wow. And I was like, what in the world is going on? So I sat them in a circle, believe it or not, because that's what I understood. That's how you did. That's how you did group therapy, right? (laughs) 85 people in a circle. So we did that. And we, the first night, all we got through is what's your name and why are you here? You know, and this is a 30 week group. By the third week, I figured out this isn't going to work. And by then we had like 90, over 90 people in the group. And uh, wow! so I split them into small groups, into 12 groups. And I basically spent the next 30 weeks going around, making sure nobody was hurting anybody. Um, fortunately there was a curriculum that they were working through, but that was a good thing. So was that it was a, the start. Was it a 12 step based? It was a 12 step. Like Al-Anon type stuff. The whole is codependency. There's a, yeah. I forget what it's called. There's Al-Anon a, is kind of, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it was really good. Um, but within a couple of years we had like, 20 small groups going and I still had a real job out in the real world. And, Mm -hmm. um, I told Steve, Hey, I have to lay this down. I've got three young kids at home and I've got a real job. I can't keep doing this. And he freaked out. So he said, what's it going to take for you to be a pastor? I said, I'm not a pastor. (laughs) And he goes, no, you are a pastor. I said, no, I'm not a pastor. (laughs) So, Kind of talked me into it. It was a whole encounter with God during that time when I was praying about that, but, and I won't get into all that, but yeah, I started doing that within like another year. We had over 50 groups going. Hmm. And that's when you came out. Wow. 
And I, I loved when people would come out and say, hey, how are you doing this? What's what's the secret recipe? And I would just laugh because I was like, I don't know what we're doing. I have no idea. So and it just snowballed from there. So Wow. It's just insane. Yeah, that's crazy. I remember. I mean, I think when I met you, you guys were I think you're already doing seven weekend services. We were doing seven, yeah. seven. Like I did six at Vineyard before I built a new auditorium and cut it down to four. But yeah, I think we actually got up to 11 at one point before wow. we got into our new building. That's crazy. It That's was crazy. It was crazy. And you were trying to, uh, you're not only doing the recovery stuff, but you were also trying to just integrate even, even with your teams that were serving and stuff, you were starting to try to make every, every team into a community of some right. sort, you know, which yep. we, we had to learn a lot about taking care of leaders. Yeah. And we made a lot of mistakes, but yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. Right. So, yeah. So, um, and then did you, what, how many kids do you have? I have three kids. Were they, they born are, uh, there in Cincinnati while you were pastoring? They were all there. Yeah. yeah. I was already, no, I was, I was in college when they were born, actually. They're uh, 38, 39, and 40. Okay. And we found out what was causing that. So <laughs> are they, where are they at now? They're, they all actually, they, up till last week, they all lived here in Colorado locally Fort they had Collins. all moved away, but then they all moved back. So okay. not with us, but to the area. Yeah. But uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my youngest daughter moved to Florida. She loves Florida. Yeah. I wonder where she gets it from. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Um, grandkids. I have six. Nice. Yes. What yeah. are their ages like between what and what? There's the two shows. that are 10. There's one that's five. There's two that are three and there's one that's younger. Uh, okay. Newborn. All right. Yeah. So, so what year did you end up leaving Cincinnati? Did you go right from the Cincinnati vineyard to the Fort Collins vineyard? I did. That was in 99. Okay. Yes. 99. So did, did Rick O just kind of recruit, what what year did Steve have his his uh, surgery that turned into the nightmare? That would have been ninety seven, probably or ninety eight. Okay, it was a it was a year or two before I left. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So for our audience, Steve, who was the senior pastor out at the Cincy Vineyard where Hans was on staff doing doing small group stuff. Um, he went in for a gallbladder surgery. They double punctured his aorta on the operating table. He went in, you know, went into a coma and it was really lucky. Yeah. Really lucky to survive. He was one of the few people that have survived a double punctured aorta, I think in the, in the world, yeah, you know? Bad. So, <clears throat> so that kind of threw Steve into, uh, well, just, you know, the way it impacted Steve, the church, everything uh, was just kind of 
it's kind of chaotic. Everything was, was kind of very traumatizing for the team. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously for Steve. Yeah, definitely. Well, so Rick Olmstead was my overseer. So I was plant. I planted this vineyard in Kansas city in 1990. I would have met you Hans probably in the mid nineties, maybe 94, 95, somewhere right in there. I don't know what, what year you went on staff or what year you switched from their full-time therapy to pastoring. But yeah, that would have been 91, probably. 91. So I probably met you in 90, maybe 93 or four, somewhere in there. I don't know. And then, um, <clears throat> and Rick Olmstead was my overseer. Actually, Kansas City was such a weird city to be in the vineyard uh, because Mike Bickle was here, you know, and I was kind of started, I was like, doing a church up in the Northland quite a long way, you know, 45 minutes from uh, Mike Bickle's church. And I was doing more of a Cincinnati kind of model of vineyard. Which world. is way different than the Mike Bickle model. And very, very different from the Mike Bickle model. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so, um, but it made it weird. So like I, we got bounced around. Like I had try Robinson was my overseer at one point and then Rick Olmstead was, and then Rick wasn't. And then Burt Wagner, and then they stuck us down to the Burt Wagner's to the South and they stuck us with Brian, uh, Brian Anderson in the Southwest Anderson. and then back to Rick Olmstead. <laughs> like they didn't, they didn't know what to do with Kansas city. Right. And, uh, right. It was kind of funny, but I got to know a lot of people, you know, through those, because I ended up being a lot of different regions, but, Right. But Rick, uh, and then my, one of my closest friends, um, my freshman roommate at Baylor university is a guy named Randy Craning. And, uh, Randy and I have been friends, uh, since we were 18 and we're 61 now. So we've had a long Very history cool. together and Randy, uh, we, we both were at Baylor and at Southwestern Baptist seminary together. And we both kind of got into the charismatic Baptist world. And then out of seminary, Randy went to a charismatic Methodist church in Muncie, Indiana. I went out to Hampton, Virginia on a charismatic Baptist church staff. And then I moved to, Vir I moved to Kansas city in 90 to plant vineyard. Randy moved to Fort Collins in I can't remember which year. 2000 and two, maybe I think okay. 2002, 2002. And he planted a church in Fort Collins with a little core team from Muncie, Indiana, basically. And I think, I think one guy came up from Texas, Jared probably. Right. Yep. Um, and so, and so I, I, you know what, the whole time Randy was at Muncie, I never went and visited him. The first year he moved to Fort Collins, I went and saw him. And I've seen him every year since Now, it had nothing to do with Randy. It was just where he was living. <laughs> well, he's also one of your adventure buddies. So. He's one of my, we, we backpacked every year, probably since we were 18. Uh, we've skipped some years now with all the crap that I've gone through, but, um, but yeah, we were pretty regular adventure partners for a good 30 yep. plus years or something like that. Yeah. So I say all that. Because Hans is now on staff with my friend, Randy Craning at what's the name of the church in Fort Collins, Clearwater church, Clearwater church. Okay. But prior to that, you went from Cincinnati vineyard to the 
um, Fort Collins Vineyard with Rick Olmstead. Yeah. Rick, so, Rick was trying to recruit me when I was in Cincinnati and I didn't know that again, uh, I'm oblivious to what's going on around me. Yeah. But uh, he came out to Cincinnati to try to get Peggy and I to come out to Colorado and there was no way we were living, leaving Cincinnati. It's interesting when you grow up in the Midwest, you think you're going to live there, work there and die there. That's just the mentality of people in the Midwest. You don't realize there's a whole nother world outside of the Midwest. So, um, yeah, when, uh, when things started getting squirrely in Cincinnati, I wrote Rick Olmstead a letter. I actually met Rick in Germany. I was with there with Steve. Okay. And within like, within like five minutes, I forgot I was there with Steve because Rick and I just hit it off really quick hmm. and we just hung out the rest of the week and talk together. So that's why he was trying to recruit me, I think. Okay. From Cincinnati. So he, he had gotten uh, basically a directive from his board that he needed to hire somebody that could help him grow the church that had been where he wants to go. Mm. And I sent him a letter saying, Hey, I, things are looking a little squirrely here in Cincinnati. Um, and I knew he was a regional overseer, so I wondered if he knew anybody that was looking for an executive pastor. Mm -hmm. And he called me up like the second he got the letter, said, you need to come out here. And I went, <laughs> okay, we'll look into it. Yeah. So we flew out and interviewed, and it was a great connect. What year was that? 99? That was 99. 99, okay. Yep. So 1999, gosh, two years before 9-11. Yep. That was another tra trauma for our church. Yeah. My, you know, I, we were in a middle school, we'd grown to 400, had our grand opening in this new building we built the week at the week after the Sunday after nine 11, like no way we could have wow. planned that. Right. And we went from 400 to 800 in one week and just kept growing, That's but our money great. went backwards. <laughs> initially. <laughs> so yeah. we had twice as many people and less money and a new mortgage payment on this new building. It was like, Oh, that sounds familiar. That was a tough, uh, that was a tough little stretch there, but God, we, it just blew the church up. You know, getting your first permanent building was a big deal, but then people came out to church after nine 11, it seemed like. Right. So, yeah. Well, um, so I'm curious, like, because at the top, I, I said, you're one of my favorite pastors because you pastor outside the church box. So you're, let's talk about that a little bit. What are some of the ways that you've tried to pastor people outside the church box? Let's, let's chat about that a little bit. Then I want to get into your family history a little bit. So just to kind of, you know, we got a little bit more time here, by the way, let me just take, before we jump into that. Thanks for listening to uh, Spirituality Adventures. And uh, I want to just encourage you, if you're a regular listener, um, become a part of our support team. You can go over to the website, spiritualityadventures.com, and you can sign up as a uh, monthly contributor, be a part of our support team. And we do special bonus content for for folks that, that do that. And I think you'll really enjoy it. I do a, a blog commentary. I have special interviews with guests, 
special music, all kinds of stuff there. So check it out. Thanks for tuning in to Spirituality Adventures. So back to back to your story, Hans. Let's talk a little bit about how have you pastored people outside the church box? Let's let's dive into some of that. Let, let me start with the my relationship with my friend Steve Shogren. Okay. You know, when I was working for him, we used to do staff development. One of the things, one of the questions that often came up when we're doing these things is what do you want on your epitaph on your tombstone? Yeah. And I, I'll never forget. He said this all the time. So it kind of stuck in my head. And uh, he said, you know what I want on my epitaph? He loved God and he learned to love people. And he used to drive me crazy. But I understand what he's what he's saying, you know, as I've been a pastor for 35 years now, it's like people are something else, <laughs> especially Christians. No. I, All right. It's, I know it's it's hard to say that, but it's no. true. They're, it's they're so like, true. Wow. Really? I I have. I, I have a special affinity of people that are far away from God. Yeah. And I, my family actually is focused more on reaching people that are like way far away from God. And I've doing, done more ministry outside of the church than I've ever done in the church. Yeah. Um, one of the things we did. And, and hey, by, the way, uh, by the way, people that are way far away from God, I think that's only in our minds. That's, that's in the mind of the person inside the church. That's the language that the I know. church uses. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of so, listeners that are all I'm over. trying to make them. it understandable to the church as well yeah, as the unchurched. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, I have listeners all over the spiritual map. So I just like, <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. how I would have thought yeah. about it <laughs> yeah. myself anyway. So, so I, through a sequence of events with my kids, we decided we were going to start a small business, a family business. And we talked about it for years, like literally for probably 10 years. And I finally decided either we're going to do this. I'm, t- I'm tired of talking about it. We're going to do it or we're not going to do it. So my family, we had a, we, we literally had a family meeting one night and I sat him down and I said, Hey, I want to be able to hand you guys something hand something to the next generation. And you guys, as Fred told you, my last name is Brewer. That's literally my last name. So um, my kids said, well, why don't we open a brewery? And I'm like, well, there's, I live in Fort Collins. There's at the time there were like 12 microbreweries. I think there's 22 now here. It's insane. Yeah. And, I said, and I good ones just, too. Pretty good ones. Oh, they're really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> New Belgium and yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Odell's, fat tires, like fat tires. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. So I said, I don't want to just be another brewery. And they said, well, dad, you make really good wine. Why don't we open a winery? And I said, well, it feels kind of inauthentic because if we open a winery, you can't grow grapes on this side of the mountains. We'd have to import the grapes and it doesn't seem, you know, and they said, what about a distillery? And I'm like, Okay, so obviously the only thing I can get you guys to agree on is alcohol. <laughs> so that was kind of how it all started. But I started looking into why there were no distilleries at the time, and it was a very complicated process. But 
I'm stubborn. I'm German. So we went through the process. It took us five years, but we finally opened a distillery here in town. Uh, we called it Big Fat Pastor Spirits. Big uh, Fat Pastor Spirits. Big Fat Pastor yeah. Spirits. I think I got one that's of your first business. used to call the beer that I, I think made. I got one of your first business cards on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of your early. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Um, so we opened up and. So did you have a little tasting room kind of thing? We had a tasting room. Yeah. And every first Friday of the month, we would have uh, bands come in and do music. So we would have between like 80 and 130 people there on on the first Friday of the month, depending on what month it was. And it was just like cheers. Everybody come in and they knew each other. And it was just like family time once a month. That's sweet. And uh, even though Peggy and I never drew a dime from the business, that was payday for us just having that community time. Yeah. But one of the things that happened a lot was people would come in from out of town and they'd want to know what was this new distillery. And we'd take them on tours and, the most common question we got was why do you call it big fat pastor yeah which would lead into well i'm i'm a pastor yeah and they do the what (laughs) how can you open a distillery and be a pastor yeah and that would lead into the most incredible discussions about spirit and people's walk with god and where they were at and Every time, every time. I love that. It just, you know, it's like sitting on an airplane and you know, this experience, I'm sure when people ask you, what do you do? And you say, I'm a pastor. It's the last thing they say to you on the flight, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, every now and then you say you're you're a distiller and guess what? It starts a conversation. They they want to talk. So it's, That's awesome. it's a great way to see. I need to find a barrier. side gig. That's why I, t- I tell them I'm a podcaster now. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. What I are you talking about? I'm a pastor yeah. for years. Yeah. Anyway. So, oh, that's cool. But I, we, we did far more ministry in our distillery than we ever did in church. So. Yeah. That's so cool. But you've, you've done other things as well. That's, that's probably the one that stands out. Right. And has probably gotten the biggest connection, but like, I, I think you've had a history of pastoring outside the church box. We are. Um, if you guys don't know Jay Pathak, he, he wrote a book uh, probably 10 years ago now on neighboring. Uh huh. We, we really took that to heart and we spend a lot of time just hanging out with our neighbors, which in our culture is really a challenge. People don't want to do that. They, they want to stay to themselves, you know, and uh, it's funny, Peggy and I just go around the neighborhood and we try to help people and connect with people all the time. And it's just a natural thing. That's cool. So, yep. That's, that's a big one on our hearts as well. How about your adventure stuff? Is that, do you do that mostly with um, Christian friends or do you do that with other guys as well? (laughs) I, I do it with other guys. I, I probably, what is it now? 34 years ago, I started taking a group of guys up to the boundary waters canoe area in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we expanded into Canada 
And I've been doing that every year except for COVID. Um, since then, uh, this I'm going to be handing it off this year to another young leader, and he'll be taking it on. But yeah, I've I've done that every year. We we basically go into the wilderness with a group of guys that are Christians and not Christians, mm-hmm. and um, spend a week. Uh, far, far away. There's no cell phone coverage. The only way in is by canoe. You're in the middle of nowhere mm. and you eat what you catch. So yeah, it's pretty cool. That's it's awesome. an adventure, but it's a very cool thing to encounter God. So good stuff. Cool. Yep. Yeah. My, my adventure stuff with people, you know, outside the church, I've always done stuff, you know, like rock climbing and cycling is a big one for me and i'm i'm on a cycling team competitive and most most of those folks that i hang out with are kind of you know outside the church so although if they start hanging out with me some of them seem to show up at the church they end up yeah they end up we've had that <laughs> we we spent the last probably 5 or 6 years totally immersed in the distillery world yeah. And it's a very tight community. Yeah. And I don't think we know of one other distiller that's a believer. Okay. So we love that. Yeah. Just love hanging out with them. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. Well, the music crowd in Kansas City, too, is one I, because I do a lot of interviews with like indie musicians here in Kansas City, and that's been a fun crowd as well. And Matt, my producer, has been the one that's really helped me connect with that crowd because he was in bands and you know rock bands punk bands all that kind of stuff so um well cool so uh so just one other quick transition you went from rick olmstead's church to uh which was what fort collins vineyard to this to randy craning who's the senior pastor lead pastor of this what's the name of it again because i'm always wanting to call it mountain life and i know it's not that anymore no, that's the old name, Clearwater. Yeah. Clearwater. Okay. Clearwater. Yeah. I yeah, did so that what? three years ago. Rick, yeah. Rick retired and stepped out of leading. And I, I felt called to serve Rick. So when he left, I felt like it was time for us to move on, you know, and we, we prayed long and hard about it. And we felt like God said, yeah, go. So I didn't know where he was leading us, which was a little scary. Um, he doesn't always tell you where he's going to take you. He just says, go. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? Uh, so we went and uh, Randy and I were just connecting. He was kind of walking us through kind of a, a phase in our spiritual walk where we were struggling with just looking at why we believe what we believe. And we spent a lot of time together at Starbucks, just talking. And he kept saying he needed to hire me. And I'm like, you don't want to hire me. And he said, no, I need to hire you. And he kept telling me I need to hire you because he wanted me to be his executive pastor. And I was like, he finally got frustrated with me one day and said, why do you keep saying you don't want to do that? And I said, Randy, if you hire me, I will blow your church up. It'll <laughs> happen. I'm, I, your your church right now consists of many, many longtime um, 
Christians, which isn't a bad thing, but if they're, if they don't have a perspective of reaching people that are far away from God, it would drive me crazy. And they wouldn't like the fact that I'm a distiller too. Right. So he said, well, maybe that's what needs to happen. And I'm like, okay, you say that now, but let's see how you feel when people start leaving the church. Cause you hired me. Yeah. And right. Sure enough. It that's happened. what happened. Yeah. I've had many a discussion <laughs> about those experiences yeah. along the way, you know, yeah. yeah, with Randy, not with you, with Randy, but anyway, yep. Yep. yeah. Well, it was an adventure, but it seems like it's landing in a good place now. It is. And, and people are starting, you know, we're very focused outward now, mm-hmm. which is what I just, I'm passionate about. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. It's not about us. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's why I love you, Hans. <laughs> Good stuff. Push the boundaries. That's right. Randy likes to say that I, I seem to attract people that are religious and then just blow them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes we need to be blown out, right? Yep. For sure. So let's talk about your family history. Cause I was in, in, in the midst of my meltdown, you know, um, I was out at Randy's a couple of years ago, maybe. And you were, you were gracious enough. I was feeling like I was feeling so dark at that moment. Nobody, I, I didn't even think anybody wanted to hang out with me too much, you know, and you and your wife and Brian McLeese and his wife and Randy and Gay all had a little evening out outside you brought all your spirits and i'm in recovery so i i cut myself off you know but yeah. uh we had this great conversation and brian mcleese's wife is jewish and all of a sudden you unpacked your family story and that's why i kind of want to I, I want you to unpack that for our audience and this kind of fun because you can maybe share this with your family and stuff as well but i just found it so fascinating when you started telling your story about your fam, what you discovered late in life yeah. about your family history that had been secret yeah, I, for all these years. It was a secret. I was actually in grad school. I was 30 years old before I found out I was Jewish. So I, tell, again, I get tell us how that happens. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this is weird. Um, I was talking to my mom about something I was researching and she started telling me that, uh, her dad, she never told me this till that day. Her dad committed suicide. Your he, mother he jumped off a bridge. Your mother's, mother's dad, dad, your grandpa. So you would have never known him. No. Like when she was he, how old? She said, yeah, he jumped off a bridge when I was 14. And I went, wow. What? He said, yeah, he, uh, he got summoned to Gestapo headquarters and he knew what was coming. So he decided to kill himself. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, he was Jewish. And I went, he was Jewish. So my mom's mom and dad never married, actually. So that was one of the family secrets. Well, the hard part was my dad walked into the room when she was telling me this, and he just turned white as a ghost because he'd never talked to me about anything. Wow. And he just looked at her and said, you're telling him? 
And he just sat down and started opening up about his childhood. He literally talked for five hours. Oh my gosh. You're 30 years old and you're hearing family history for the first time. Yeah. Jewish family history, German Jewish family history. It was like, wow. So before I get into what he said, I'll tell you this. I, I was talking to Randy last week. Americans today think they're suffering and they know what suffering is. I can tell you, we have no idea what suffering is. When you hear the things that used to go on in other cultures, you get a perspective that's way different than what we have today. So he started talking to me about his life as a kid in Germany. Um, He was born in a small Jewish community in Germany. And uh, that was before the attitudes with the hostility towards the Jews was, you know, really overt. But when that started, a lot of his neighbors fled Germany and they went to either Israel or the United States just trying to avoid persecution. Like was this Um, in 19, what years would that be? This would have been the late 20s. 1920s. in the, in the late twenties. Yeah. Okay. When he was a kid. Okay. And, um, his dad started taking them to the Catholic church. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the curl dome, but he was actually one of the choir. He was in the choir at the curl dome and used to, he actually used to sing solos as a Catholic boy Hmm. in the curl dome. So it was pretty powerful. Um, but as a teenager, He wanted to grow up and be a police officer. So later he, he actually got to do that. He started, uh, he started in the police Academy in Germany. And one day he was called forward. Uh, He thought he was getting an award or something and his superior officer, uh, asked him in front of the whole class, what makes you think you can be a police officer when you know you're Jewish? So they, he was found out he was hiding in plain sight and they ripped the insignia off his jacket and they threw him to the ground and they just started kicking him and spitting on him. And they threw him into the back of a wagon, um, back then a horse drawn wagon. And they just dragged him off to a, to a um, labor camp. And when he was talking about this, he said, you you can't imagine what it's like to have your friends just turn on you in an instant. It was bizarre. They were, these were his friends. And so uh, he spent the next two years in a forced labor camp uh, building the Audubon. Hmm. That, that's what, what he was forced to what do. What year w- was that? Do you know? It would have been uh, 40 or uh, I'm guessing this would have been late, probably 39, 40, 41. Okay. Wow. Whew. So no, it had to be a little later, actually. It had to be 41, 42. But 
his brother got caught too and ended up in the same labor camp. So him and his brother were there in this labor camp. Talked about how they were barely fed anything, but they would be forced to work every day out on the, on the highway. His older brother was sent to a Auschwitz and was gassed. And they got a telegram one day said he died of pneumonia, but they knew better. Um, on June 6th, 1944, he was working on the highway out there and he could hear thunder off in the distance. Oh, wow. And he said, I thought it was going to rain, but I kept looking and there was no clouds in the sky. And he finally figured out by the end of the day, something else was going on. Yeah. Obviously that was, he was getting the, he could hear the rumble from Normandy over there. Yeah. Wow. Far to the West. Not long after that, he and his brother were returning from labor, uh, forced labor one day. And the guard, they had befriended the guard at the labor camp. And uh, he he told them, this is, the, the train's coming tomorrow. Mm. So he's basically telling them, if you're going to run, you need to do it tonight. And the guard basically turned his head that night and they escaped, um, wow. which was kind of cool. Well, they went back to Cologne, Germany, uh, to, to their house and there was nothing left of their house. It was just bombed out and they were hiding in there. And the, there was a, another bombing raid and one of these bombs, I, I forget what they're called, but they're like percussion bombs that just make a big mm-hmm. blast it landed in the basement of the house next to them. And it blew out his eardrums. When he came to, he couldn't hear for like two weeks. Mm. And that in that affected his heart too. And that affected him for the rest of his life. Um, so they decided they needed to leave the city because they were being hunted in the city, obviously Nazis. He talked about the smell of death everywhere in the mm. city. No matter where you went, it's, you could smell decaying bodies and, you know, they had no food, they had nothing. So they, they went out into the country. They started heading um, east or no west towards France. And they got to this farmer's place and they were, they were hiding out in a barn and I don't know how long they were there, but he said, we were hiding in the barn and the farmer didn't know we were in there. And at night, the farmer would come out and throw like scraps, food scraps out in the pig pen for the pigs to eat. And when the farmer would go into the house, he and his brother would jump into the pig pen and try to get what they could from the pigs to eat. Mm. Just crazy, crazy stuff. Mm. Um, And then uh, by mid-December 1944, the Allied forces were starting to advance towards Germany. And they, um, they could actually, they were up on a hill in this barn and they could see the allied forces coming up this hill and they were really excited about that. But then the Germans pushed them back. So they decided they were going to run, make a run for it. So they, in the evening, they 
got, they took off and started heading down this hill towards France, towards the French line. And the Germans saw them and started shooting at them. And, and they went into a ditch. This, this was funny, actually. I, you never forget. He was shivering when he was telling me this, but he said there was only like five inches of water in the ditch. This is December. Mm. He said we were freezing. He was shivering when he was telling me this. He said we were freezing, and we just laid there as still as we could. And then as night fell, the Germans decided they were going to run the tanks back across the ditches, back and forth, to try to run over the people hiding in the ditches. And the only way that he and his brother survived was they saw the position of the tank coming and they positioned themselves between the treads of the tank to escape. Mm. So they rolled right over them and they just stayed there till they could see it was starting to get light. And then they just made their way across back across to France. So, wow. It's just, I can't imagine what it'd be like to have your country trying to kill you because your ethnicity mm. that is just insane stuff mm. but uh they eventually went back to germany and um they were at their they were by what was left of their house and one of their neighbors had come back to see what was left after the war and she ended up sponsoring them to come to the united states and you know she she came to Ellis Island, picked them up. Somebody, them somebody, Cincinnati. Somebody sponsored your dad. Yeah. Was it a, how? How did that happen? It was a neighbor. One of we, your neighbors in Germany. Up, we, yeah, a neighbor from the, Germany who had who had come to America. Yep. Is a Jewish neighbor. Yeah. Huh. We used to call her Aunt Betty, even though she wasn't. Our aunt. Where did your dad meet your mom? That was in Cincinnati. My aunt Betty would, uh, she took him in and took care of him till he could get a job. And one of the things she did is connected him with the German society in Cincinnati. Hmm. And he went to a dance one night and met my mom there in Cincinnati. And, and was your mom Jewish in Germany as well. My mom was Jewish in Germany. She hid out. She was in Northern Germany up by Bremen and she and her mom hid out in the woods, um, trying to stay out of the city. And they would come into the city at night and try to find food on the old train cars, um, that were just in the, the train lots. But yeah, I don't I don't know the full story of how my mom ended up coming to America, but I know she was doing translation for some companies in Germany, and that's probably English to German or German English mm-hmm. translation. Mm-hmm. So that's probably how she ended up in the states. Mm. Wow! But they met in Cincinnati. They met in Cincinnati. So here you are, thirty years old, and you're hearing these stories for the first time. Yeah, it was a you little had, profound. You you had no clue that your no. mom and dad were f- Jews from Germany. No, no idea. How many siblings do you have? 
I there were five of us growing up. Are you the I oldest? Had an older or? brother, older sister, younger brother, younger sister. When did they all find out about this? Uh, after that, after I gee, called them up and said, "Hey, my dad actually still had the <laughs> Star of David patch that he was forced to wear when he was in the labor camp. Hmm. It was in his safety deposit box." in the bank and i wow when when my younger brother married a jewish girl he gave it to her just kind of as a yeah we wow. didn't even know he had it i can't believe he actually brought it over because hmm. i mean he did not he wanted to hide we were raised lutheran he didn't want anybody yeah. to know we were jewish yeah, what, tell me what is it just because was it because of the persecution and you just get to where you you just wouldn't want it is. And my mom yeah. thought that was going to happen again. It's and like a trauma. It's like a trauma response, right? It is. Yeah, it is. It's PTSD. Yeah. And she said, you just never know when they're going to turn on you again. And right now things are heating up in our culture again. Uh, the anti, you know, anti-Semitism. anti-Semitism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting crazy again. But when my sister passed away, she was 38 she wanted to um anybody that wanted to donate she wanted it to go to Shoah, which is steven spielberg's company that tries to record people's stories from the holocaust mm-hmm. and i was the executor of her will and i made that public in the paper and my mom flipped out wow she couldn't believe that i said that publicly and i said wow. i'm just honoring my sister's wishes Mm. You know, so she couldn't understand why I would do that. A lot of their friends were actually anti-Semitic and I couldn't understand that. Mm. And again, it's because they were trying to hide mm-hmm. in plain sight. Wow. What a crazy story. Yeah. What a, what a wow. So what, when did are your mom and dad have both passed? Is that? Yeah. Right. How, yep. How in, the early, in the early, my dad passed away in 01 and my mom in 03. Okay. And are your siblings all still alive? Oh, no. I'm, I've am i got both of my sisters have passed away now. Okay. Yeah. From cancer. There's a, there's a cancer that's a Jewish cancer for Ashkenazi Jews. And apparently they both had that. And I've dealt with a little bit of cancer and my older brother's dealt with cancer, not my mm. younger brother yet, but a lot of cancer in our family. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how, I like how, because when we were sitting around, that was the first time I'd ever heard you share that story. And I, do you share this much? Is this something that I, I have shared it with, with the church when I, when I talk about neighboring, uh-huh. I, one of the things that's really profound for me is to understand that my, I owe my life to a neighbor. Right. Really. Yeah. My dad's neighbor who sponsored him to come to the United States and took mm-hmm. care of him till he could stand on his, you know, on two feet. Mm. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's what we're supposed to do. Puts love your neighbor in a, in a whole different light, doesn't it? Oh, way, way. Holy crud. <laughs> So, yeah, when I talk about neighboring to the church, I explain this story and say, interesting. That's why I'm even here. 
Wow. The fact that both my parents grew up as Jews in Germany during the war and I exist. Yeah. Is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Oh man. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, send this podcast link to a couple of my rabbi friends. <laughs> I'd say, tell them, Hey, be sure and wait for the last, you know, wait for the last part of the, the interview that I think they'll yeah. be fascinated that we have a, you know, the, we have a huge Jewish community center down in Overland park, Kansas, in the Southern part of the city. That's does incredibly great work, super active. Um, and uh, what they're, they're bringing in one of my favorite scholars while I'm going to be in Colorado. I was kind of bummed out Robert Alter who English professor at Berkeley Hebrew English professor, but one of the great uh, Hebrew scholars of our day. And he, he did his own translation of the whole Hebrew Bible. He just completed that a few years ago. And it's my wow. favorite, it's my favorite translation of the, of the Hebrew Bible. But um, yeah. Uh, you know, when I was doing my, my PhD work, I was doing it in the Hebrew Bible. So I, I studied mostly Jewish scholars throughout that whole that whole work and end up having another of my favorites is Abraham Joshua Heschel, who became mm -hmm. great friends with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And they worked together on the civil rights issue in America. And Heschel is cool. really a great, great, great scholar. His book called The Prophets, he's got a lot of great books, but The Prophets, it's a huge book, but it's one of the best on the Hebrew prophets. I think you can read brings out. That's awesome. I, uh, let me tell you two, two quick stories. Yeah. The, 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 um, the night after my mom and dad shared this, my mom called me up and she said, you didn't tell Peggy any of that. Did you? And I said, yeah, I did. And she said, you can't do that. And I said, why not? She said, Be does she want a divorce? And I said, no, she doesn't want a divorce. She asked me if I wanted to go to the synagogue. And she's like, no, 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 no. You do not want to be seen at the synagogue. And I'm like, okay. It kind of freaked her out, you know? And it's interesting. You're talking about the guys that you're listening to now. Mm -hmm. and the people that have influence in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been spending a lot of time listening to the Bama podcast i'm sure you're familiar with that bama mm -hmm. but that's that's understanding all the uh it's b-e-m-a mm -hmm. but it's basically a rabbi going through from genesis one and explaining what the bible was really what it really means not how we interpret it mm -hmm. in our western mindset mm -hmm. it was not written to our culture Right. And we misinterpret most of what's written and it's profound. It's really our first experience of understanding Jewish writing mm. and how they wrote way differently than what people write today. Mm -hmm. So very well, cool. Robert, Robert Alter is, you know, you would love to read his stuff on, cause you know, he's a literary genius. He, he knows modern Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, English. He's a, you know, literature teacher, but he approaches the Hebrew Bible through the lens of, of Hebrew literature. And it's just, ah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Great stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I had the privilege of uh, having dinner one night with the chief rabbi of Great Britain, Johannan Sachs. This wow. was uh, at the National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, I got to see. You asked him what his most embarrassing moment was? <laughs> I didn't. But <laughs> <laughs> and he passed away just a couple of years ago. But if if you wanted to hear a great interview, Tim Ferriss, you know, Tim Ferriss has a podcast and he did a, about a two hour interview with um, Johan and Sachs uh, not not too long before he passed. It was a really great interview. You know, Tim's not a he, he's a you know, uh, he interviews people all, you know, just a top, not a Christian kind of thing at all, but just just some great, really good interviewer. And anyway, well, cool. Would you like to add anything? Before we I think those are exit that's out. That's my here. story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, what an amazing story, Hans. Um, I feel privileged to uh, have known you all these years, and then I really felt honored to hear you share that story that night. We were just sitting around outside in the fireplace. That's kind of oh, that is so amazing, so amazing. Yeah. I'm just glad my dad shared it because that could have been lost. You know? Yep. Well, tell your family I said hello. You too, buddy. And uh, let them. I'm sure this, we'll connect. Send, send this to them. And uh, I, I, it'll be it. fun fun for your family to to have this on uh, on an interview like this. I think it's great. Well, thanks so much, man. What a, what a, what a joy. Um, yeah, we need to, we probably need to do an adventure or something, or at least let me come over and have some of your barbecue. Anyway, there you go. There you go. When are you coming out? Well, I'm driving to Ure like, a, like this just in a few days, but that's Southwest Colorado. And I'm, you know, I'll be, I'll be angling South of you. So I don't, I don't know, maybe August, maybe this yeah. August. 2023. I'm sending Randy, uh, I'm sending Randy on a sabbatical for a few months this summer. So maybe you guys can get some fishing in. Okay. Well, that'd be good. Excellent. He's got a, he's got a sweet spot up in the mountains. Okay. <laughs> good stuff. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to spirituality adventures and thanks Hans for sharing your story with us. Such a, such a powerful story. We'll, we will see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.